When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. This is Rich Savini. I'm your host. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Yes, the Jets knocked it out of the park with their seven draft picks over the weekend. We're going to dive into each pick, strengths, weaknesses, projected role, all that good stuff. And I'm also going to take Twitter questions from excited Jets fans. The Jets draft was universally praised by all the draft experts. It was like straight A's. I wish I had that many A's when I was in school. I might be doing something different for an occupation right now. But the Jets really nailed it. In fact, I, I asked Robert Sala when the press conference was over, I said, what's it feel like to be universally praised and he kind of shrugged it off and downplayed it. And he goes, you know, when I was an assistant coach with Seattle in 2012, you know, they picked Bruce Irvin, Bobby Wagner, and Russell Wilson. The last two, of course, future Hall of Famers. And he goes, our draft was universally mocked. He goes, I think we got a D. The point of it was that you never really know when it's over. It takes time to evaluate a draft. But here's what I liked about it. The Jets got good value across the board on all their seven picks. They didn't take guys with injury histories in the first three rounds. Durability is very, very important for this team. We know they've had so many key injuries over the last few years. I like the fact that Joe Douglas was aggressive. He went up and get the guys he wanted, traded up for Jermaine Johnson. Then he actually tried to get Brees Hall at the bottom of the first round after getting Jermaine Johnson. Could you imagine... If the Jets came out of it with four first-rounders, that would have been only the second time in history that's happened. And you guys know the first. It was 2000 when the Jets had the four number ones under Bill Parcells. But Douglas was aggressive. He actually ended up going up for a haul in the second round, moving up two spots with the Giants to draft the running back. Joe Douglas wanted to come out of this draft with four impact players. Let's see. Let's see what he got. Sauce Gardner, the number one pick, he's going to start. I'd say Garrett Wilson is the odds-on favorite to start at wide receiver. Jermaine Johnson might not start right away in the base defense, but you have to remember the Jets use an eight-man rotation on a defensive line. I certainly think you will see him as an edge rusher in the nickel package. And Bryce Hall, to me, based on the people I talk to, has number one running back potential. You draft a guy 36 you expect big, big things. He's got 4.39 speed. Uh, Michael Carter, look, we all love Michael Carter. He had a really good rookie year, but he doesn't have 4.39 speed. Now, let's talk about each of these picks. Sauce Gardner, <coughs> you know the stat no touchdowns allowed in college. That's just amazing. Talked to some scouts about him. Some of the words they used were they like his swag, the way he's wired, he's a springy athlete. 
He's got ball skills. He had nine interceptions in three years. That may not sound like a lot, but he was not targeted a lot. You know, he was like the Darrell Revis of college football. He was not targeted a lot. You know, he's skinny guy and played predominantly press man. He's going to have to make an adjustment so to some zone. Now, a lot of people were thinking, like, why did they pick a press man corner for a team that plays a lot of zone? Well, I did the research. You know me. I love doing the research. I checked with our True Media website. And so it's true. On first and second down, the Jets are predominantly zoned. They only played 37% of man coverage, which is 19th in the league. So right around the middle of the league. But on third down, it goes up to 72% man. That is third in the league. So they are a man team on third down. Robert Sala has said it many times. He expects his guys to win on third down. The whole defense is predicated on that. DJ Reed, their free agent acquisition from Seattle, had very good analytics last season in man coverage. So maybe the Jets switched to maybe more of a man's uh, scheme this year with Sauce and DJ Reed. I told you, I thought in last week's podcast, I, I, I knew they liked Sauce over Iki Iquanu. And if Sauce had been gone, Derek Stingley Jr., well, of course he went third, but Derek Stingley Jr. was a guy that they were very, very high on. And I, I don't think there was much of a difference between Sauce and Stingley in their ratings. Uh, became mood, of course, when Houston took Stingley at three. Now let's talk about Garrett Wilson. Interesting little subplot here. The Jets almost traded up to nine, Seattle, because they thought, they heard, you know, teams are hearing stuff on the clock. They're talking to people. Their intel was that they thought Philly was moving up for a wide receiver, meaning Wilson. The Jets did not want to lose Wilson, especially after Drake London had just gone eight to Atlanta. So the Jets were talking to Seattle, and at one point it appeared that they had a deal done. But Seattle got cold feet because they didn't want to lose the uh, tackle cross and the Jets became convinced that no one else was moving up, so they stayed at 10, and they got Garrett Wilson. Fast guy, 4-3-8, body control, explosive. I can say I was standing right near him in the press conference, and he's skinny, you know, so you wonder a little bit about how he's going to handle some bump and run coverage at the line of scrimmage, but a very smooth athlete. Basketball background, had a lot of Division One offers, so I think you see that in his game, just the twick, the quick twitch, the footwork, you know, you see that show up. I hope he works out. Then some other Ohio State guys the Jets have drafted, like Devin Smith and Darren Lee, they were, they were disasters. Uh, Wilson, very promising. Jermaine Johnson, he was the number eight guy on their draft board. So he obviously, the, you know, they go with Wilson. And so when he hits 15, Johnson, Joe Douglas starts calling every team from 15 to 26, trying to get Jermaine Johnson. Finally, at 26, he gets Tennessee to make a trade. I think it was one of the stories of the first round. Why did Jermaine Johnson, who was projected by many to be a top 10 pick, why did he fall to 26? I checked with a number of scouting sources, and they told me he just did not do well in his interviews during the run-up to the draft. Now, he did play really well at the Senior Bowl, but from my understanding, uh, I don't think he was, I think his attitude rubbed some people the wrong way at the Senior Bowl. He was coached, not by the Jets coaches, but by the Detroit Lions coaches, and I understand, you know, some of them weren't thrilled with his attitude. 
I, you know, he's got a big ego. Some people call it athletic arrogance. Some people say he needs to be humbled. Uh, he came across well in our press conference with him. He seemed like a very, um, you know, he seemed like a really good guy. And, like, he's really into this, and he's so grateful that the Jets picked him. Uh, another thing was he was only a one-year player. You know, he bounced around a little bit, gets to Florida State, uh, just thrived there with 12 sacks. Scouts tell me he'll play the run. He's got a wide repertoire of pass rushing moves. I think that was a really, really good pick for the Jets. Now, Brees Hall, interesting, interesting pick. I was surprised they took running back. I just didn't think after Michael Carter's promising year, I just didn't think Joe Douglas was going to go for running back that high. He was a top 20 guy on their board. As I mentioned earlier, they tried to get him at the bottom of the first. This guy's uh, athletic score. Now, NFL Next Gen Stats they do all this analytic stuff, and they take they come they come up with an athletic score for each player based on the position he plays. Bryce Hall or Brees Hall, I know I'm going to screw that up throughout the year. Brees Hall had a 99 out of 100, one of the best athletic scores of any player in the draft. First running back in nearly 20 years to run sub 4-4 and have a vertical jump of 40 inches at the combine. Amazing production at college, 3,000 yards, 41 touchdowns over his last two years. Has the longest streak of touchdowns in terms of games in FBS history. Now, he needs to work on his blocking and his pass catching, but he is definitely the chance to be the RB1. In the beginning, it'll be Carter, and then Carter and him, and then eventually I think Brees Hall will overtake him. He's got an extra gear that Michael Carter doesn't have. Now, Jeremy Ruckett from Ohio State surprised me a little bit in the third round. I've known for some time that they had a third-round grade on him. Obviously, they don't need a tight end. You know, they got C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin. They just felt the value was too good to pass up there. He's a two-way tight end. He's a decent blocker. He can catch. I watched him at the Senior Bowl. He's got a little wiggle in the passing game before he got hurt that week. He's got a foot injury to keep an eye on. Strong intangibles. He's a team guy. He was not featured at Ohio State. A lot of players just would have upped and left, put their name in the portal and left to, to another school, but he stuck it out. Uh, that shows you a lot about his character. I question his immediate role on offense. I don't know if he'll have one, but he'll obviously be a contributor on special teams. Now, Max Mitchell in the fourth round, the offensive tackle at a Louisiana Lafayette. Pro Football Focus had him the highest-graded pass protector in FBS. Played mostly right tackle. He can play both, left and right. He'll probably be your swing tackle right now. Guys like uh, Chuma Adoga, I think he's done. You know, they got uh, Connor McDermott, who also factors in there. But, you know, Max Mitchell is a guy who projects as a possible starter a year or two from now, a possible swing tackle. So I thought that was a pretty good pick. He didn't test well athletically, but he's good in pass protection. He's got really good feet. Here's an interesting nugget. You know, he's had trouble keeping weight on. He's 6'6", about 307. He hired a nutritionist to gain weight, kind of the anti Mackay Becton. Good pick. George Fant's going to be a free agent after the year unless they sign him to an extension. So Max Mitchell looks like he's got a future. Now, Michael Clemens in the fourth round, Texas A&M defensive end, uh, a little risky. He's what they call the super senior. He, uh, he actually played five years at A&M. Two years at JUCO before that. He will be 25 years old when the season started. 
some off-the-field concerns. Now, he said after he was drafted that he's only been in trouble with the law only once. Well, technically, that's not true. I did some research, did some digging, and from 2018 to 2021, he was stopped by police on six different occasions in the state of Texas and cited for things like no proof of insurance, twice for speeding, twice for an invalid license, once for parking in a handicap zone with an unauthorized vehicle, uh, possession of drug paraphernalia. And then last September 13th, that's the arrest that got him suspended for a game, unlawful carrying of a weapon, less than two ounces of marijuana, invalid license. Now, look, all this stuff does not make him a bad person. These are, in the grand scheme of things, these are not major transgressions. However, you know, you question his judgment. He made a lot of bad decisions, and you hope that doesn't translate to the NFL because those decisions could be much more magnified on the NFL level, especially playing in a place like New York. As a player, he's got some things that really excite you. In terms of pressures per game, Last season, he was second only to Will Anderson of Alabama. Will Anderson is going to be the highest-drafted non-quarterback in next year's draft. So he was only behind Will Anderson, and he was ahead of guys like Aiden Hutchinson. He had 11 pressures in a game against LSU. He's got great size, good speed, and Joe Douglas called him one of the nastiest players in the draft. So there is potential there. He'll be a backup player, maybe a rotational defensive end. You hope he makes better decisions off the field and maybe the Jets can get something out of it. So let's just recap here. Joe Douglas, in three drafts, has used eight draft picks on top 36 players. A two-pick on Zach Wilson, a four-pick on Sauce Gardner, 10 on Garrett Wilson, 11 on Makai Becton, 14 Elijah Vera Tucker, 26 Jermaine Johnson, 34, Elijah Moore, and 36, Brees Hall. Eight players in the top 36, six on offense, two on defense. That is a lot of talent in the building for the last three drafts. Obviously, not all of them are going to work out, but there are no excuses now, especially on offense. With those six players, a quarterback, a running back, two linemen, and two wide receivers, I mean, come on. Those are big, high-premium picks. The Jets have, should, anyway, have enough talent to become a lot better than they've done the last few years. All right, it's Twitter time, and we're going with an extended version of our Twitter period here. We got some great, great questions. I know Jet fans are excited, so let's go to at Ian Damon 3. Which rookie do you see having the biggest impact? Well, we talked about their roles earlier, but I, I think Brees Hall might. I think Brees Hall, running backs, can have a big impact in the NFL. So I'm going to say Brees Hall. I think Gardner will start, like I said. I think Garrett Wilson will start and play a lot. Jermaine Johnson may not start, but I think he'll play a lot. But the guy who could make the biggest impact, Brees Hall, because of that speed. At sports underscore FI 3ND. Hey, Rich, great work on the draft insights and calling out Sauce Gardner as the top choice for the Jets. What was the main reason they selected a cornerback instead of going edge or offensive line, given the philosophies of team building for J.D. and Robert Sala? Thank you. 
uh, RB, really good question, and thank you for the compliment. Um, you know, I think it was just best player available. I mean, a cornerback was a need as well, so uh, I think that was a big reason, and I don't think they would have taken Aiden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker had either one of those edge rushers been there. They obviously were not. They went 1-2. Uh, so then I think Gardner became the focus. Had Gardner gone 3 I think they would have gone Iki Aquanu. So a lot of those guys were bunched up in their ratings in terms of edge. I think there was a gap between uh, you know Trayvon Walker and, and Hutchinson and the, and, and the next one, which was Jermaine Johnson, and they ended up getting him anyway. Next one, Wuhan 3. Rich, there were various reports that said Woody Johnson was very involved in this year's draft. Can you confirm this? Do you know if it had any impact on any of the picks? Brees Hall, for example, since Joe Douglas had not taken a running back early. You know, I other than being on TikTok and, and making those uh, kind of silly TikTok videos, I don't think Woody Johnson was very involved. Now, was he in the draft room? Absolutely. Did he talk to every pick after they were selected? Absolutely. Joe, Woody Johnson was not watching tape. Woody Johnson was not making decisions on this draft. Uh, you know, he, I think, knows to stay in his lane. At least I would hope so. After 20 years of ownership, you would think he would learn that. I think the reports that he was involved, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe he was uh, patting guys on the back and acting like a cheerleader in the draft room, but I could not imagine him actually making decisions. All righty. The next one comes from at Marty Levine. The only glaring post-draft roster holes seem to be swing tackle and run-stuffing defensive tackle. Is there a Moses, a Morgan Moses-like free agent out there? And what about a hold the fort uh, Fadakasi type at defensive tackle? Really good question, and I totally agree with you, Marty. I think those are two need areas need a swing tackle a veteran swing tackle because uh you know Fant and Becton are going to be the starters but let's face it you know how much trust do you have in Makai Becton you know he's coming off knee injury he's had weight issues there are some tackles out there Eric Fisher Dwayne Brown I think they can find a tackle last year it was like Morgan Moses fell out of, out of the sky and into their laps and it was a great signing in late June that proved to be very, very critical. So I would think they might add a veteran tackle. And also at defensive tackle, not as much to pick from there. A lot of older guys in Damakonsu and an old friend, Sheldon Richardson, probably the two most noteworthy free agents. Uh, I'd be curious about Fletcher Cox from Philly. There were some rumors early uh, in the offseason about his availability. He's got one year left on his deal. They went out and drafted his replacement, Jordan Davis, the uh, the massive wide body from Georgia. So, you know, if Fletcher Cox became available, I think the Jets should look into that. And at Draped in Yellow asks, uh, much respect for a very realistic A grade on our draft. When's the last time you gave an A grade? And if this was the first, what was the previous high? Well, I'm not huge on grades, uh, Chris, but... I gave an A for this case because I just thought it was deserved. Looking back, someone asked me the other day about, you know, could this be their best draft since the 2000 draft when, of course, they had Ellis, Abraham, Pennington, and Beck and Liberanius Coles. I mean, if they come close to that, then they're on their way. But I think let's not overlook the 2006 draft where they had uh, Ferguson and Mangold in the first round. 
It also picked up Brad Smith and Leon Washington, and even Eric Smith played for them a, a lot. So I think on paper, this could be the best draft since 06. Of course, in 07, they didn't have a lot of picks, but they nailed them with Darrell Revis and David Harris. Uh, let's not put these guys in the Hall of Fame yet, to quote Bill Parcells, but on paper, in terms of value and rankings, this looks like it could be up there with 06. Uh, at Rex underscore everything seven. Uh, seriously, Rich, what kind of detective work went into selectively uh, successfully predicting the first two jet picks? I think it's remarkable, especially given the overall murkiness surrounding this draft. Uh, Rex, thank you so much for that compliment. You hit the you hit the right word, detective work. That's essentially what we do before the draft. You know, we're trying to dig up information and connect dots. No one calls us and says, hey, Rich, this is the Jets draft board. You know, you just talk to as many people as you can, people that you trust, people that don't have agendas, and you try to piece together the information. And a lot of times it's late information. So, like, I I pretty much didn't think cornerback was a serious option until maybe a week before the draft, maybe even less than that. I just didn't think they'd go in that direction. But what happens is when teams get done with their draft meetings a few days before the draft, the uh, the people, the important people, the decision makers around the league are more available. They'll return phone calls and texts, and they have their board set, and you can get better information later on closer to the draft. And I think that's what happened in this case. I certainly wasn't the only person who had Gardner and Wilson. Others covering the team also did as well. At iGlue. Do you see us trading vets like P. Ryan Mims, Ashton Davis for late-round picks like Douglas did previously in order to have the flexibility to make draft day trades again? Uh, look, let's be honest here. LaMichael P. Ryan, Ashton Davis, they have no trade value at this point. You, you couldn't, you'd have to give them away for nothing. Denzel Mims, probably no trade value, uh, maybe a seventh-round pick. You know, he hasn't done anything in the league. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet in two years. So at, at this point, no. But maybe during the season, it, they could create some value for themselves. I think those guys will be hard-pressed to make the team. This is not going to be a pleasant year uh, for Joe Douglas's 2020 draft. I don't think P. Ryan will be on the team. Mims is probably 50-50 and Ashton Davis probably 50-50, so uh, it ain't going to be fun for Joe Douglas. That that 2020 draft will, will start to get wiped out. Jabari Zuniga, you know, I can't see him being around after all these defensive end draft picks. So, But they don't have any value. They quite simply just don't have any value, so they might have to bite the bullet on those. And we're going to wrap it up with uh, what's happening with Makai Becton. Looks like the coaching staff is not happy with him. Is this a, a make-or-break year for him? I think it's a make-or-break year in terms of his uh, time with the Jets, for sure. I, I never thought, I mean, there were these erroneous reports coming out before the draft that the Jets were done with him. He'll never play again with the Jets. I never thought they seriously would move on for him. He, he essentially has played only one year, and it, it was a promising year. He showed a lot as a rookie. And Joe Douglas wasn't about to give up on that. You know, is the coaching staff unhappy with him? Look, you guys probably saw the video of Robert Sala. You know, technically he can't criticize any players for not being 
at the voluntary program. It's a rule in the CBA. A team could get fined if they criticize a player. But, you know, Robert Sala is very smart. And he looked at the camera and he said, hey, Makai, we'd love to have you here. We'll take care of you, buddy. And so that was his way, a very uh, clever, subtle, maybe not so subtle way of saying, Makai, get your butt in here. Now, of course, Makai has some personal things going on with a, a baby that is, you know, supposedly due soon. So once that is taken care of, you, you would hope that he would show up into the voluntary portion of the program. Um, like I've said on many, many occasions, I don't think this coaching staff, which inherited Makai, is totally embracing him. But kind of a vote of confidence that they didn't draft another offensive tackle in the first round. So the Jets are playing in a role with Makai and George Fant. I think ultimately Fant will be the left tackle and they'll move Makai to right tackle. They have plenty of time to figure that out. But for now, they're happy with their draft picks. They should be. It was an A draft. They should take a few bows and get to work. They got a lot of work ahead of them. Drafts, you know, the Jets have won the offseason many, many times, and then it comes to the real season, and they lay an egg. So let's not count the Lombardi trophy just yet. <laughs> they got a long, long way to go, but they certainly had a good offseason. I want to thank you, the fans, for checking out Flight Deck. Uh, we haven't done it a whole lot in the offseason, only when as news uh, allowed us to get here. So uh, we had some news this weekend, so definitely wanted to make sure I checked in on a post-draft flight deck. Thanks to our producer, Jeff Scopin. We'll check in when, as, as it warrants. When there's news, we'll get right into it, and you never know who we might get as guests. Appreciate the listens over all these past few months. This was a lot of fun, and we always appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next time on Flight Deck. Flight Deck.